Hey everyone, so good to have you with us again on the Practicology Podcast. This is going to be part three in a little mini-series that Mike's been doing with us on obedience versus sin. You can find the first two episodes in 116 and 118. And today's episode is called, By Faith You Can Do This. Sin and temptation often get the better of us in our Christian lives, unfortunately. But instead of taking a defeatist attitude and just giving up and giving in, we're wanting to advocate for a humble, can-do attitude in the fight against sin. Yeah, that's right. This is our last look at 1 John 5, verses 1 to 5. And remember, we're, we're kind of witnessing a debate here between our modern culture and the Apostle John. And our culture says to John, those inner desires in us that you're calling sinful desires, well, here's the scoop. They are private and none of your business. They are liberating, so we need to embrace them, not resist them, in order to be true to ourselves. And they are inevitable. Even if we tried to resist them, it's pointless. This is who I am. And the Apostle John says, nope, nope, nope. You're wrong on every point. So in episode 116, we heard him say, there's no such thing as private sin. Every time you sin, even, in, even when it's just you alone with your phone, you're harming other people. There's, there's no such thing as I can do whatever I want as long as no one else gets hurt. If the whatever you want is sin, then someone else is getting hurt. So score one for the Apostle John. And then in episode 118, we saw John confront the second claim our culture says about our sinful desires, the claim that they're liberating and that obeying God is oppressive. John said in verse 3, God's commandments are not burdensome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in both of those episodes, we tried to emphasize the, the positive flip side of all this. So let's recap that too, like this. Want some added motivation to fight sinful desire and temptation in your life? Well, here we go. First, obeying God is loving to others. It's impactful to others. How's that for motivation? If I set to work on growing in self-control of my inner desires and appetites, my life will bring enormous blessing to other people. And then second, obedience is desirable. It's not just good for others, it's good for me personally. It's, it's not oppressive and burdensome, it's liberating. It's, it's me getting to live in the way I was made to So live. that catches us up on episodes 116 and 118. Our memories are refreshed, and we're ready to see how the Apostle John tackles the third claim our culture makes when it says that our inner sinful desires are inevitable. We just gotta go with them. Perfect. Yeah. So here's our third point. Not only is obedience impactful for others, liberating for me, but thirdly, it's also possible. It's possible. So right after saying that God's commandments are not burdensome, John explains in verses four and five, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So now as I say this, Mike, I am praying that this point and these verses will bring great hope to many of us listening. So often it seems that sin is inevitable. The desire seems so strong, the temptation so powerful, and it can feel like it's impossible to overcome it. But John says that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this reference to the world takes us back to chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, where not loving the world has to do with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions. So John is telling us that the Christian can overcome 
the very sins you've been talking about in this mini-series. Yeah, it's vital to understand what John means by the world here. It, it doesn't mean everyone else alive on planet Earth. You know, if, if you've been born of God, you'll overcome all the other people in the world. It, it's not that Christians always beat unbelievers at ping pong, for example, Matthew. Not always, no, you're right. But, but you're right, sometimes they do. I, I know that too. But yes, world here means the systems and attitudes that are opposed to God. The attitudes that are opposed to loving God and obeying God. And we see this by the connection that you spotted with chapter 2. And Mike, I noticed that he's not just saying that we can overcome the world. That would still leave some room for doubt. I can, but I might not. But John says that we do overcome. Every Christian overcomes the world, John says, which means every Christian will overcome the lust of the eyes and of the heart. Who is it that overcomes the world, John asks, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So let me ask you, listeners, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for your sins and rose again on the third day? Then you already are an overcomer. That's what John is saying. Yes, that's right. This is that can-do attitude that John is encouraging us to adopt. Christians are, by definition, overcomers. Again, not overcomers in the sense that we clean up at the high school track meet every summer, but overcomers in that we eventually learn, little by little, not perfectly, but, but characteristically, we learn to resist our sinful desires and walk in obedience to God. And so that's why Matthew said we're advocating for this optimistic can-do attitude in the battle against sin. It's because John, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is so optimistic about uh, those of us who are believers. So let's go back to chapter 2 again and see another really optimistic moment in John's writing here where he's talking about the world and the lust of the eyes and so on. Just before that, in the, in the paragraph immediately before, this, listen to what John says to you. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, and by little children, he means all believers here. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children. He kind of goes through the list again. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's 1 John 2, 12 to 14. So, so John is looking you in the eye and he's saying, can I speak some truth into your life? Your sins are all forgiven for Christ's sake. You know God and have a personal relationship with the Father that no one and nothing can take away from you. You are strong and mighty in Christ. The Word of God regenerated you and stays in you and is powerfully at work in your life this very moment. Oh, and don't forget, you've already overcome the evil one. Mm. Well, those are powerful words. They're wonderful words. But, Mike, I think many of us want to argue back now and say things like, yeah, but I don't feel particularly forgiven right now. I'm, I'm feeling ashamed of what happened last night. The Word of God doesn't seem very powerful in my life when that temptation rises up in my heart. It seems like the temptation is way stronger than the Word in those cases. Or, what do you mean I've overcome the evil one? He gets me every Thursday night when I come home late from hockey and everyone else is asleep. I know, I know. I really, really hear that. And that takes us to something vitally important in these verses in 1 John 5. It's called faith. Verse 4, everyone born of God 
overcomes the world, in other words, overcomes our sinful desires. Verse 4b, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Are you ready for it? Our faith. You see, it's not that we're so strong and victorious in ourselves. We're not. In ourselves, we're helpless and weak. No, the thing that makes us victors is our faith. And that's not just any faith. It's a very specific faith placed in a specific person. So listen to verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? In other words, our sinful desires. Who is it? Is it Mr. Super Self-Disciplined? No. Mrs. Extremely Devotedly Religious? No. It's this. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we overcome the pull of indwelling sin in our lives, not by our own strength or resources, but by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let me take those words against the objections that I just raised a moment ago. When I don't feel forgiven, I believe in Jesus Christ that I am forgiven, regardless of how I feel about it. When temptation feels far stronger than God's word, the victory comes when I believe that the promises of God's word are stronger. Where it seems that Satan is the overcomer in my life and not me, I need to believe the gospel, that in Christ I have already overcome the evil one because I rest in the one who has defeated him at the cross. Exactly. That's so helpful. The, the key is faith and the object of that faith. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Didn't Jesus overcome sin's guilt and tyranny at the cross for us? Absolutely. By being our sacrifice so we could be forgiven, hasn't he overcome the evil one and destroyed his works? Isn't Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has defeated death itself by his glorious resurrection? Yes. Well, if Jesus can overcome all that and has overcome that, He's surely powerful enough to deliver us from lifelong enslavement to pornography. I love what uh, one person said about this verse. He said, Christians don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Christ has already won the victory for us on Calvary. Maybe I can give a personal example from my own life of a, a moment I just remember. I remember this moment where it kind of was a light bulb in me. Uh, I realized, hey, sin is not inevitable. It was a really exciting discovery for me that that obedience was actually possible. I remember a time in previous work that I, I had to inspect some maintenance facilities as part of my job, and I knew full well where uh, some of the glossy posters would be hanging and where some of the trashy magazines would be hiding in those rooms. And I was visiting these rooms all by myself. I didn't have anyone else with me. And maybe, you know, before I would have thought, you know, I have to look. I mean, how can I not? How, I mean, it's right there. How can I not look? And the Lord taught me, no, you don't. You can go into that room trusting in my resurrection power. And you can do your 10 minutes of work in that room trusting in my power. And you can walk out again trusting in my sin-defeating power. You are an overcomer through me. And when you leave, you'll not feel that you missed out. You'll feel free. You'll feel noble. You'll be able to hold your head up. You'll know my pleasure in you, swelling your heart with joy. And it was true. It worked. I was so excited. You, you and I, we can't handle our sin issues, but the risen Son of God can. He saved you from sin's penalty when you trusted in Him, and He can save you from sin's power when you rely on Him too. And so when something inside you says, I have to sin, I have to do this sin, it's inevitable. Answer by faith, no, that's not true. I don't have to sin. The risen Son of God is alive inside of me, and by His power, 
I do not have to do this sin. Instead, I can obey. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and thank you, Mike. This does give us hope and encouragement. The battle is lifelong, that's the reality, but it's so encouraging to know that the scriptures give us this optimistic belief that through Christ we can have victory in our lives. Mm -hmm. We can and we will. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Um, of course, I, I know this isn't the final word on overcoming temptation. The Bible has much more to say, and even this letter of 1 John has more to offer us. For example, this, this letter regularly reminds us that we have one another, fellow brothers and sisters in the church. So we can ask each other for help in our fight against sin. That's one resource that we have to tap into. And this letter offers other helps too, such as prayer. So if you go down chapter 5 a little bit from where we are right now, down to verse 14, it says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. And, uh, and so that qualifier there, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, is it according to his will that, that we gain victory over these besetting sins in our lives? Well, of course it is. And so we can confidently ask him for, for help and he will answer us, he will help us. So here's two things then you can do if you're stuck in some sin. Number one, you can ask God in prayer to free you from it. And then secondly, you can ask a trusted Christian friend or mentor to help you. And, and of course, in order to do these two things, you're going to need faith, aren't you? This is just trying to re-emphasize um, the point of this episode. We need faith to do those things. Before you go to God in prayer, you're going to have to believe that he loves you and forgives you despite all the times you failed and that he can help you. And then to go to a friend, you're going to have to so rest in Christ's acceptance of you that you're willing to expose your shameful secret to someone else. So even in doing these two things, you're, you're still doing them by faith in the Son of God. Yeah, I've got I.H. Marshall's commentary on 1 John, and he really drives home the importance of faith in this battle we're in. He writes in this section, It is precisely faith that we need. To the natural man, the power of evil appears uncontrollable, and to the weak Christian, the force of temptation appears irresistible. It requires a firm belief in Jesus to enable us to dismiss this appearance of irresistible, uncontrollable evil as being merely appearance. Nor is such faith a means of escape from conflict. On the contrary, it is right in the middle of evil's displaying of power that the believer is able to call its bluff and proclaim the superior might of Jesus. Such faith is far from being wish fulfillment or sheer illusion. On the contrary, it rests foursquare on the fact that Jesus Christ has defeated death, and anybody who can defeat death can defeat anything. Amen. Jesus Christ has defeated death and can therefore defeat anything, including the indwelling sin in our lives. So this brings to completion this little mini-series that I've been working on, Matthew and 1 John. 1 to 5, and maybe we can just close it by reiterating the three things we've learned about obedience, obedience versus falling into sin. Uh, number one, we saw obedience is, is impactful. If I just go about seeking to obey the Lord's commandments, I will, my life will bring enormous blessing to the people around me. And then secondly, we saw that it, it doesn't only really help others, but it helps me. It's actually good for me. I, I become 
more the person I was meant to be. It's, it's free and it's liberating to, to, to obey the Lord. And then thirdly, it's actually possible, not because I've got the uh, horsepower to do it on my own, but it's because I have this person called Jesus Christ, who is an overcomer. He has overcome. And by trusting in him, by faith in him, I too am able to begin experiencing victory in my life. Amen. Thank you, Mike. And thank you all for listening. May the Lord encourage your hearts today.